It's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and this is news that you can use from Car Edge for, well, Tuesday, January 30th, with your hosts, me, Ray, and, well, the handsome guy over there, Zach, and, uh, ro what's in your wallet, buddy? <laughs> well, Dumb Pops, we're going to dig in to some interesting News from Capital One. Before we turn our attention there, I want to remind everyone today's show is brought to you by our company, damn it, caredge.com, end of month promotions. And in one day, 11 hours, 59 minutes, and evidently four seconds, we've got specials on vehicles, specials on extended warranties and service contracts. If we can help you out, please go check it out. Now, the throw is over. Let's jump in, Dad. Capital One. They are yes. one of the larger financial institutions in the United States, and they do a heck of a lot of auto loan originations. They actually pulled out last year from dealer floor plan originations, so they no longer do underwriting for vehicle inventory. Some interesting things when you look at their quarterly earnings. One of the biggest pieces, Dad, there's two yes. real storylines. Originations are down. So originations were down 7% in 2023. The bigger story, I think, Dad, is when you start to dig into the numbers, you can look at originations across a lot of the banks out there. For example, U.S. bank originations fell 46% uh, year over year, which is huge. Truist was down 16.9%. Fifth Third Bank down 9.6%. Capital One, as you can see here, 5.5%. Delinquencies, Dad. The story with delinquencies is really unchanged. Auto accounts 30-plus days delinquent came in at 6.34% in Q4, up 70 basis points quarter over quarter, and 72 basis points year over year charge-offs up to 2.19%. That Capital One, with these yeah. delinquency rates and the originations being down across most financial institutions, they're ringing the alarm bell, man. It is a terrible credit market right now for getting paid. If you were the uh, uh, underwriter and if you're the consumer, you're obviously... I mean, more and more people are just walking away, man, from even paying these car loans. It is it is difficult at best. Here, I want to share this if I can uh, from Austin Mitchell. As someone who works in the business, if you are below a 660 FICO credit score, you're going to get stipped for everything and you will need money down. The zero down days for the, uh, for the average are almost gone if you're not prime. Um, and the reason for that is is in those numbers from from uh, Capital One. Um, we know delinquencies are up. We've been talking about it for the longest time, uh, and we catch a lot of heat because we, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it, and everything else. But you can see changes in lending practices at major financial institutions, and you know, Capital One is. I don't know, pretty well known, uh, <laughs> you know, they're right up there. They're not, they're not chase, but you know, they're not far behind. And if they see, um, warning signs in automotive and they saw enough warning signs over the past year and a half, two years to get out of the floor planning side of things, to change their lending criteria on the retail side of things. Um, yeah, that that should send a signal to the rest of the industry that if you're going to approve people for loans, there has to be some type of participation from the vast majority of those seeking a loan. And what do I mean when I say participation? 
that would be cash or trade equity down against mm-hmm. your new loan. That I've pulled up here. I'm going to yeah. share it on the screen. Let me pull this up really quickly. It's not just autos. So here we've got data. This is showing you uh, delinquency rates across everything. This comes from the Federal Reserve. Okay. I've heard of them. 2022 colon one, first quarter. 2022 colon two, right? All right. So look at what we're seeing here. Let's focus on just consumer loans for a second. During the pandemic, all consumer loans had all-time low delinquency rates, 1.53%, whoops, 1.53%, uh, 1.54%, 1.65%. And look where we are now. This is all the way, this is just 2023 Q3. So I don't even have Q4 in here. It was up to 2.53. Okay, so it had gone up 100 basis points. You look at auto, auto is a subsegment of all this. And then you look at specific underwriters, Capital One, for example, they're not even the worst culprit here. If I, if I remember correctly, we had looked at some truest bank data I'll try and find it while we're on the show, but we had looked at some truest bank data. Their auto loan delinquency rate was even higher. And the way that these banks end up making money is that they package, they securitize these assets, mm-hmm. these, these loans, and they, they sell them as um, uh, asset-backed securities. And so it's like it's almost like you can wash your hands of, they make bad a bad decision. loan. You, you, yeah, they you, make you a get, bad you loan. Get, you get to wash your hands of making a bad decision, of, of, of approving a loan that you shouldn't have approved. That's that's what they get to do, um, and they don't, and they're not held accountable for it. Um, and and I believe, hmm. and you correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I believe it was that type of strategy that um, caused the housing bubble in 2007, 2008, 2009, um, which resulted in the Great Recession which was the closest we've ever come to a second depression in this, in this country. Um, so it's, it's being able to wash your hands of the bad decisions that you make and still being rewarded for having made those bad decisions. Yeah. We see it across the board. The reason that people are in the car business is to sell auto loans. Like that's like, that's Carvana's business model. They don't sell cars. They sell loans. They sell loans. And then all of the data, it doesn't matter where we go. We could look at, for example, Cox puts out their weekly market updates. The most recent weekly market update we got from Cox that talks about delinquencies. It's right here. Auto loan performance deteriorated in December. So we have some some leading indicators. I, it pains me to say that December data is a leading indicator, but it is compared to like Fed data that comes mm. out, you know, like six months later. In December, 1.97% of auto loans were severely delinquent. That is not 30 days without making a payment, guys. That's 90 days, nine zero uh, days not making a payment. Subprime, 7.7% of subprime loans were severely delinquent. So, you know, when we look at the Capital One data, we then look at the Cox, which is aggregate data. Then we look at the Federal Reserve data. Then we look not even at just auto and in general. The picture becomes very clear. I think for cars, it's especially concerning because people Mm -hmm. like to trade in and out of them. Yes. A lot of loans were approved during a period of time where it was easy to get approvals. Now, banks are tightening. Some banks, although we had Joe on recently, said some banks are actually starting to loosen back up again. So it's kind of like your mileage may vary. But generally speaking, banks are tightening. And it's because they're looking at charge-offs going up. You know what, Dad? Credit Acceptance Corporation earnings come out yes. tomorrow. One of the largest subprime uh, loan originators in auto. I, it pains me to say, I'm so excited to see those earnings because I'm pretty sure it's going to show just how terrible the decision-making was six, 
12, 18 months ago for all these people that got approved on loans who are now thousands of dollars upside down in a car that they probably want to get rid of. The Cap One data is another example that will probably do the same headline of the show on Friday when we have the Credit Acceptance Corporation data because <laughs> it's going to tell the same story. Um, you know, unfortunately, it will. And and it, it wasn't as if um, Capital One didn't see this coming. They did, and they tried to mitigate it to a degree. Um, and, and yet they, they realize there's still headwinds moving forward. And and there are because the the compression in margins, both for banks and dealers, mm-hmm. the um, the difficulty in being able to structure a purchase so that it fits into a loan origination guideline and still allows the buyer to have what that buyer perceives as an affordable car payment without having recognized the fact that their automobile insurance is going to go up and that's going to negatively impact their yep. overall expenses. So it's it's just, there are any number of headwinds um, for the automobile industry. Now, that's not to say that it's not going to survive or and, and, and that there aren't going to be dealers out there that, that are profitable. Well, there will be. But there will be smaller dealers and probably some used car dealers that find it more difficult, the footing a tad bit more difficult moving forward than what it had been. Totally. I want to address a question that came through in the chat, so I'll pull it up, Dad, from Douglas, who ends up paying the price for people who default on their loans, people who walk away. Let's talk a little bit about that because I actually saw some data just this morning. I'll pull it back up on the screen here. The estimate that is there will be over 1.5 million vehicles repossessed this year. Cox Automotive predicts vehicle seizures will hit 1.5 million this year, up from 1.2 million last year. We know, if you've if you've been a part of this channel for a while, we've covered the reason that there are fewer repossessions than there are uh, loan defaults is because there are not enough repo men and women out there yes. to actually repossess all the vehicles. Think about that for a moment. If someone wants to go be creative and build the Uber for repo drivers, there's probably a huge opportunity. Okay, there's a growth industry right there. It's right there. It's, be, it's right before our very eyes. We're not going to change our name to Car Repo Edge. Anyway, my no. point being, there's an expectation of more repossessions. Douglas's question is, who pays in that situation, Dad? And I think you've got some really interesting insights here. That that repossessed vehicle can follow a consumer for a while, can't it? Well, the consumer that loses the vehicle and has the repossession, um, you know, even if they had, I don't know, weak credit to begin with, um, it just got worse. So they're going to pay for that forever. You want to know who else pays for it? Every last one of us pays for it, okay? Because suddenly the bank's buy rate to the uh, third-party lenders you know, uh, the indirect lenders is going to be slightly higher than what it had been to mitigate those losses, which means the rate to the consumers, the rest of us consumers out there are going to be higher. Okay. Whether it be on your credit card bills, whether it be on your, your home equity line of credit, whatever car loan rates are higher. Now they're the highest they've been in what 20 years. Um, so we all get to pay for that. 
we all get to pay for the mistakes that these banks made. Every last one of us. We all got to pay for it when it happened in 2008. And what about deficiency balances, though, Dad? I mean, that truly follows the individual. Like, if there's a deficiency balance, it's not like they just say, okay, you're off the hook. Like, they're going to still come after you. Well, and and in a lot of cases, the, the, the originating bank will write it off. And then they'll turn around and sell that uh, to a collection agency for pennies on the dollar so that they can get something from that deficiency balance. And then that collection agency who bought it for pennies on the dollar is going to hound the hell out of the people that owe that deficiency balance. And trust me, they're going to collect more than just pennies on the dollar. They've figured out ways to make it a profitable business. So they're going to employer. They they contact your wages, whatever they're they're going to get some of it. You know, if your deficiency balance is three thousand dollars and the bank sold that that to the debt collector for three hundred dollars. And the debt collector collects a third of it they collect a thousand dollars they've still made 700 bucks okay yeah. so it does it's not like it goes away goes away somebody's you know somebody's chasing you for that money for like ever okay and and eventually the debt collector will write off after they can't get any more out of you but yeah it follows you it, it, you know just if if it was that easy, everybody would just turn their damn cars in, okay? Yep. It, it, and everyone would stop paying their auto loans, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, it's like it's like somebody came to me and said, well, what if I wanted to turn my lease in early? You can. You mean I can just give it back to them? Yeah, you're still going to owe them the money. You're still going to make a monthly payment. <laughs> yeah, you just won't have the car to drive. <laughs> you know, so why you'd want to do that, I don't know. Okay, but it's not like, you know, they just they just let you out of the rest of your contract. They don't. You sign the contract. Tell it works. You're so funny. You're so funny, man. It's also, it's like such a typical dad answer. It's like, oh, can I return my lease early? Of course you can. Oh, what are the ramifications? You're not going to have a card. You're still going to make the payment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're still going to be making your insurance payment on that, too, because, well, that was part of the lease agreement that you agreed to keep full coverage insurance at a higher level on a lease than on a purchase. Yeah. Feels, feels like the appropriate feels like the appropriate time to remind everyone that uh, we have guides, we have videos on how much car you can afford. So just Google search, how much car can I afford space car edge? Go review those resources before you make one of these decisions. Two comments here in the chat before we switch gears from Coco Landia down goes Fraser repos. I like that one. Yes. Uh, and then dead from Chris here, a thoughtful contribution. Thank you, Chris. So Chris is saying, at what loan-to-value percentage does the bank not repo the card? Do they sell the debt to a collection agency? What happens to the title? So like you were saying, after they'll repossess a vehicle, they'll they'll free, you know, they'll go sell it off. What we're talking about is then afterwards, if there's a deficiency balance. So they repossess yeah. the vehicle and the customer owed still five grand or something like that. That's what they're trying to go after. Yeah, if, if they repossess the vehicle, okay, and let's say you owe $10,000 on the vehicle, that's your loan balance. And they repossess it, and they take it to the auction, and they get eleven thousand dollars for it. Well, guess who doesn't owe a deficiency balance? You don't. So, if if it gets sold at auction after it's repossessed, 
for less than what you still owe, including fees for the repossession and everything else. Um, if it gets sold for less, they're coming after you for the difference. And if they don't come after you for the difference, trust me, they're selling that to a debt collector for, for pennies on the dollar. And the debt collector's coming after you for that difference. So it, it's, it's, it's not like it, it just disappears into thin air. It doesn't. It follows you. That becomes part of your legacy. And, and that will travel with you for a very, very long time and show up on your credit report for a very, very long time. I see some comments in the chat, Dad, talking about stipulations. Let's just spend 30, maybe 60 seconds on this. Stipulations are requests from the lending institution to prove your identity, to prove your income, to prove your creditworthiness. Yeah. Uh, so stipulations could be something like needing to see a second proof of identity if they have questions about your if you recently got married and your name changed, they might need to see as a stipulation your marriage certificate. Yes. Now, when you get into the financial ones, those are things like trying to really understand your W-2. If you're a W-2 employee, if you work in the gig economy, they might have questions. About, so like stipulations are additional pieces of information that the bank's going to request to get to an approval or, or ultimately a decision. They, they might want to see your name on the lease. At, at, at your rental, if you're renting, um, and and if you, if you can't provide them with the lease, then they might want to see a utility bill for that address in your name, proving that you're the one that's renting it. Um, there's any number of stipulations. Um, it could be pay stubs for proof of income. It it could be leases. It it, it could be bank statements, especially in the gig economy. Um, yep. You know, some lending institutions will will look at your your bank statements to see um, deposits and and uh, and outgoing expenses, but they want to see if you're claiming that you you're making ten thousand dollars a month in the gig economy. Well, they want to see deposits into a checking account or some type of of banking account that indicate that you're actually bringing in ten thousand dollars a month. You. You can't just claim it and not be able to prove it. Um, well, you can. You just probably ain't getting a loan. Not gonna get it. Uh, yeah, you're not going to yeah. get the proof. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, because yeah, people yeah, again, come in and claim all kinds of things. Again, uh, don't fool yourself. Don't try and pull the wool over. I mean, the banks banks want to approve you because this is how they make money. And yeah. If you can't afford something, please don't put yourself in that situation. All right, we're going to switch gears here in just a second. Before we do, again, the reminder for those of you that missed my one throw at the beginning, this is my one throw in the middle, and then I'm done. CarEdge.com. We have our end of January monthly specials ending in literally, what is that, 20 hours? No, uh, 36 hours. Yeah, around 36 hours from now. So please go take advantage of that. Uh, there's still some lingering Mazdas that you can get 0% financing, some lingering Mazdas with huge discounts. We have Hyundais now, folks. You can buy a Hyundai on CarEdge.com. We're competing with the big boys directly with Amazon. So please, folks, if you're interested in supporting me, my dad, and what we're building with CarEdge, do it. The deals are there. Let's look at this data, Pops. <clears throat> Average car payment by state, and then I want to look at this by credit worthiness. Look at what some of these interest rates are that people are paying on used cars. I mean, the balance amounts for used cars are just like mind boggling to me. That in Montana, the average monthly payment on a used car is $800 at a 12.8% rate. Mississippi, the average APR is 14.5%. So we're even, we're not even looking at the segmentation of data like as deeply as we could. I bet you if we looked at specific states, loan delinquency rates are probably, I mean, didn't we look at that 
last yeah last year dad wasn't it like washington dc had like one in five auto loans were were delinquent it was something crazy like that like i gotta find that data because this this helps show why the rates are really yeah, really it, high it, it could be regionalized um you know and you you can look at at say a state like mississippi which um had high interest rates higher interest rates than the other states now why um well, it's it's considered somewhat of an impoverished state as Definitely, far as, yeah. as as far as average incomes. Um, it's a little bit of a, of a backwater state in the sense of education. I believe mm-hmm. they either rank forty eighth, forty ninth, or fiftieth in the country for um, school spending. Um, and and you know you have a lot of farming. You have there's 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 a significant amount of poverty um, associated with the state of Mississippi. And so what do you get on the receiving end of that? You get credit acceptance court hitting you with 20% APRs. Yes. And then credit acceptance court makes at least enough money on that, knowing the delinquency rate will be higher. Really a not so fun. I mean, it's just, it's a, or what's the opposite of a virtuous cycle? A nefarious cycle? That's what it is. It, it is. It, it's. It's it's an indictment on an educational system uh, within the state of Mississippi and 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 the United States of America, and of and on financial literacy. Take education oh my out of financial sure. literacy, understanding what you're getting yourself into. Yes, um, very 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 important. Right, a vicious cycle, a vicious cycle. Thank yeah. you, UM Tiger three eleven. All right, GM's earnings actually did come out uh, yesterday. We did a little bit of a preview. It's incredible to me how much these automakers make that. <laughs> so all we hear all year long, all we yeah. hear, gang, all year long is, guys, we can't. If we do the UAW deal, we're screwed. Oh, oh, we don't God. make money on EVs. Oh, God, yet, yeah. yet profit, bottom line profit went up another five point two percent. Net, right. income. So Net income went yeah, up. That's, that's, yeah, that's bottom line profit. That's after they pay everything. Net income rose 5.2% to $2.1 billion in just the quarter, Dad. Just the quarter. These automakers make money yeah. hand over fist. They're, they're worse than the dealers, man. Well, then <laughs> like, why, why, is, why is it that Lucid can't make any money? <laughs> You know, and I just, if I may, for one second, yeah. I, I, I'm going to digress and just ask a question about Lucid because I, I, I read that Lucid is um, uh, converting their their manufacturing facility for uh, this new SUV or whatever they're coming out with. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how long does it take to do that so that you can, I don't know, build like 300? Because it's <laughs> not like they're going to sell them. You know, they, they don't... They, I mean, really? I mean, think about this for a second. Well, you know, we got to shut down the factory uh, so we can um, uh, change over everything so we can build. And then, you know, if you look at your history, it's like the American people have spoken and they won't buy our product in any numbers. So, I mean, why why should it take long to do that? Or why would you even bother to do it? Um, But, yeah, I I saw that and and I just... I just found it kind of funny that, you know, yeah, we want to convert the factory over to this so that we, it, it's like, it's like when I worked for a dealer group yeah, um, and, and when dealer groups go out and they buy more dealers, their pitch to the manufacturer when they're trying to get factory approval is, 
hey, listen, we know this dealership's been underperforming. And through our processes, um, we'll be able to make it a shining star. And I worked for a dealer group, and I swear to you, they must have said to every manufacturer, if you think it's doing poorly now, wait till we take it over. Because uh, <laughs> if anybody can slow the sales down, we can. And that's kind of like what Lucid is. You know, it, it's like, if you think things are slow at Lucid now, just wait. We can get them even slower. <laughs> I am thrilled that GM took you down the lucid path. It is it is kind of incredible that one like the stall, you know, what's not what stalwart's not the word. What's like the long-standing automaker GM General Motors, yeah. even though they complain all year long about margin compression, oh, yeah. they don't make money on EVs, the UAWs coming for their throats. They still made in one quarter 2.1 billion dollars. That's after paying for everything. Yeah. Everything. That's after paying Mary Barra her huge salary. All the executives who take home millions a year. That's after paying everything. There's still $2.1 billion in the bank, guys. Like That's insane. And then, yeah, you look at Lucid, the upstart, and they lose, what, like a couple million dollars for every car that they sell? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like, it, 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 I, I think, what was it, General Motors took in $182 billion in sales? I mean, geez. You know, yeah, I guess you should turn around and be able to make a couple bucks there. Um, and 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 Lucid can figure out how to lose a billion here, a billion. What's a billion? What's a billion when it's the Saudi investment fund that's backing it? It's nothing. And we move on. All right. One other. Actually, you know what? Let's go to our favorite segment of the show. Let's do it. Okay. Really? You got to be kidding me. All right, Honda's turn in the hot seat, literally. Uh, Honda HRV defroster button can shatter glass. American Honda has said it has discovered a manufacturing issue that lets glass sealant touch the heating elements, creating a weak hot spot, but no recall. I was shocked when I read this, Dad. Uh, Motor Trend dubbed it a self-destruct function on the Honda HRV. Hundreds of HRV owners have complained to the uh, federal safety regulators, excuse me, that their vehicle's rear defroster is causing glass to shatter. Consumer Reports said the HRV, it brought in for testing, experienced the problem when using the remote start feature on a cold morning in New England. Nobody was injured and the cargo in the rear wasn't damaged, the publication said, but our tester had to clean up glass shards from his driveway and the contents of the cargo area were no longer secure from weather and theft. The really got to be kidding me here is that there is no recall on this. Yeah, I what mean, what are they doing? Yeah, why wouldn't there be a recall? I mean, if it, it, there's there's not a lot of things that sound like a safety issue, but I don't know if you have. Let's say let, let's say you're a young couple, you know, and you bought the HRV because it's a relatively inexpensive, cutey little sport utility type of thing, and and you know you, you've got you've got two children, you know, one aged three and one aged one, and the, I don't know they're in car seats in the back seat, you know. Last time I checked, the closest thing to the back seat is the rear window, and that would be where that rear window defroster would be. So, you know, how could that possibly be a safety issue that you might want to recall the the uh, the vehicles over when I don't know that explodes, shatters, and I don't know, cuts the hell out of the kids? I mean, it is what what defines a problem that would make it a recall is beyond me. If you take something like that and you say, well, you put on your rear window to foster and, 
and not only will it defrost the window, it'll shatter the window. Um, that seems like something that, that's worthy of a recall, especially if I was the consumer that owned the damn thing. I'm not paying for that glass. You know, and, yeah, exactly. and you know, not not that I not that I want to be the guy that goes into the dealership and says, well, what do you mean? You're not they're not paying to replace it. When can I talk to the factory service rep? When will he be in the area? Do you, just let me know when he'd like to take care of it out of their goodwill account if they don't want to utilize a recall. Um, this one was shocking to me that I just I don't get it. I don't get why there's yeah. not a recall. Is it because it's a Honda? Is it because it hasn't happened enough? I mean, it, like it's happened enough that there are, are people complaining about it. And imagine being on the other side of that, like you're describing. That sucks, man. Yeah, you literally right. turn on the rear defroster and the and the glass cracks. Like that. that, that what? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I wouldn't be in on that. And and you know, if the glass doesn't like just shatter and fall out, it will when you when you close the tailgate again. Yeah. Um, so so that that just made the tailgate um, non-usable. I mean, you know, they're just it it all goes back to one of my favorite things is why is it so hard to do the right thing? Whether you're a corporation or or an individual, um, you've got an issue. Uh, uh, Honda does with this. Take care of it. Just step up and take care of it. Speaking of doing the right thing, folks, the final throw is at the end of the show. CarEdge.com, our end of month. Help us finish the month strong. If we can help you purchase a vehicle this month, let's do it. If you need help protecting your vehicle, let us assist there as well. You're supporting me and my dad, and you're supporting the company behind the scenes when you choose CarEdge. So we really appreciate that. Pops, we will be back tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure we'll figure out something. And I look very, I very much look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's... News never stops happening, um, and there were there were some articles that we were going to talk about yeah. that we that we didn't get a chance to talk about today, um, and and you know even though uh, we didn't talk about them today, maybe we can talk about them tomorrow. And then and then I saw a, a one of our favorite brands, Mazda, is coming out with their new CX seventy, the twenty twenty five CX seventy yeah. this spring. Um, and there was an article on automotive news about that. So will we find something to talk about? You bet we will. <laughs> will there be flames? Probably. All right, Dad. Enjoy the day. Everyone, thank you for spending some time with me and my dad. We really appreciate it. I love you very much. Had some fun. And I'm sure I'll talk to you later today. Yep. Love you too, handsome. Thank you for allowing me to, uh, to, to do this yet another day. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Love you. Yep. See everybody.